This is Marathon Training Academy, episode 418. Thanks to Prevenex, makers of Joint Health Plus, for sponsoring this episode. The main active ingredients are clinically proven to reduce your joint pain and stiffness in just 7 to 10 days. It's amazing. Check them out. Prevenex.com. Save 15% with the code MTA. That's Prevenex.com. Use the code MTA. Thanks to Oladance Open Earbuds. They have 360-degree superior sound, but they never enter the ear, so there's no ear fatigue. Plus, you never lose track of what's happening around you. Visit Oladance.com and use the promo code MTA20 to save 20%. And thanks to MetPro Nutrition Coaching. You can speak with one of their experts about your goals. Lose weight, add muscle, change your body composition, and fuel smarter. Go to metpro.co slash MTA to get a free consultation call. Metpro.co slash MTA. Welcome to the Marathon Training Academy podcast, where we inspire and empower you to run a marathon and change your life. In this episode, we speak with Marty Gardner, an Academy member who went from a self-described overweight, depressed man who lacked self-confidence to a marathon maniac and ultra runner who just completed his second 100-miler. And in the quick tip segment, Coach Angie shares how heart rate training will improve your running. And don't forget, as an Academy member, you can get lots of inspiration and support. Find out how to become a lifetime, yearly, or monthly member over at MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. Well, Angie, it looks like Kira D'Amato is up to it again. Um, She had the American record in the marathon, and now she just set the half marathon record. That's right. She ran the Gold Coast Half Marathon in Australia and set the record time of 106.39. It was most recently held by Emily Sisson. Yeah, really cool. She's such an awesome person. Uh, We've had her on the podcast. Plus, I did a live interview with her at the Richmond Marathon last year. And then it seems like, Angie, every year we're talking about um, these really cool ultra marathons that are going on. Like the Badwater Ultra Marathon called the World's Toughest Foot Race. Goes through Death Valley, of course. Uh, This year, the first place winner was who? It was Ashley Paulson of the U.S. with a time of 21 hours, 44 minutes, 35 seconds. Not only did she win overall, but she said the second fastest finish of all time. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a really amazing performance. She was also the female winner last year. There were some other inspiring finishes at Badwater, including Kaylee Frederick from Pennsylvania, who became the youngest finisher ever at age 18. She finished with a time of 40 hours and 6 minutes. And then there is Aaron Hale, who is the first deaf and blind finisher with a time of 42 hours and 19 minutes. Yeah, super inspiring. I was watching videos from that. And speaking of races, we are going to be at the Tokyo Marathon uh, next year, 2024. If you're going to be at that race, let us know. We'd love to host a meetup. I know we do have some listeners in Japan. Looking forward to finally being at the Tokyo Marathon. We are running for the charity Room to Read. We entered the lottery for years, and uh, what, 13 years in a row we got rejected? (laughs) (laughs) So we got connected with this charity, Room to Read, which promotes literacy in underprivileged areas and mostly through Asia. And of course, reading is something that is extremely close to both of our hearts. Yeah, so we're really proud to partner with this organization and finally be running the Tokyo Marathon. Also, just a reminder that this year, 
I will be at the Boulderthon in Boulder, Colorado. Love to have you meet up with me there. So that is October 7th and 8th. Of course, the Boulderthon has uh, 5K, 10K, half, and a marathon. So let me know if you're going to be there. Well, before we get into our conversation with Marty Gardner, let's give some shout outs to folks in the community. Angie, what's going on out there? This comes from Liz in the social distancing run group. She says, I did it, y'all, 2,000 miles. She posted a picture with her Great Wave Finishers Medal, and she says, This particular medal has so much significance in that I've spent the past year riding the waves of injury, recovery, setbacks, and comebacks in my quest for this particular achievement. Those hills and heat ate me for breakfast this morning, but the views were quite the spectacle, and I just had to muster up the inner strength to roll with the hills, which one could equate to that of rolling with metaphorical waves. This medal is extra special to me given what it represents and the struggles I've gone through to earn it. One doesn't simply rack up 2,000 miles of running. (laughs) (laughs) Not with a few waves along the way. And this comes from Chuck, a coaching client. He says, MTA group, I finished it 26.2, my first marathon in 17 years. Wow, that was way harder than I expected, and I was thinking it would be hard. But MTA coach Carrie has been a huge encouragement along the way. What I learned from this race was that I like smooth asphalt, but maybe that's because I'm used to it. I also like having my grandkids as a fan club at the finish line. If this were easy, everyone would do it. And runners come in all shapes, sizes, and ages. I'm one of the older and larger ones, he says, smiley face. And I just finished my goal of doing a marathon this year. If I can do it, so can you. A little rest this week, and I'll be back after it. Thank you all for your stories and encouragement along the way. Yeah, love it, man. That's great. Congrats, Chuck, on accomplishing that awesome goal, running your first marathon. Thank you for sharing those encouraging words with everybody. And this email comes from Frank. He says, Angie and Trevor, I went down memory lane, so to speak, when you brought up the issue of pilgrimage. In September 2017, I walked the Camino de Santiago, the French way. This route is 500 miles. I took a sabbatical since I'd been in my present job 18 years, as well as spending the previous four years providing my father's health care. He died early that year at the age of 97. That year, I was 62 years old, and being on a pilgrimage gave me an opportunity to consider the future. There were many revelations I had, and the growth from that time away was tremendous. But I made one decision on that pilgrimage that has proven the most helpful. I decided to run a marathon when I turned 65. Not long after returning home, I found the MTA podcast. And if there's one thing that got me started off on the right foot, it was your encouragement, advice, super guests, and listening about your journeys as well. November 2021 was the 50th New York City Marathon, and that was the one I ran. What a thrilling experience. I've run two more marathons now, and now I'm training for Chicago in October. I'll be 68. You two have been an invaluable partner in the process. One day we'll meet up, and I'll buy Trevor a beer and Angie a bottled water. (laughs) That sounds awesome. Sucks for you, Angie. Only bottled water. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure if you wanted a beer, he'd buy you one, too. I'm sure if I wanted one. I'd rather have water. He says, thank you for your commitment to help us all along the roads, and blessings, Frank. Do you know the main ingredient of beer is water? I am well aware of that, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. It's like water that's been ruined. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for sharing that story with us, Frank, and good luck in your training for the Chicago Marathon this year. Well, when I get to meet with listeners to this podcast and I ask them, what type of episodes do you like? Like, what, What kind of content do you like to hear? People often say the stories from the community, the everyday runners who are just out there getting it done. So here's a story for you today from uh, Marty Gardner. He's worked with some of our coaches, Coach Lynn and Coach Henry. 
he's gonna share how he went from being overweight and depressed to becoming a runner, taking on his first marathon, which was really tough, and then deciding he wants to keep going, training for more and more races, and then building up ultimately to doing 100 milers. Yeah, Marty has been a huge inspiration to me over the years. And you'll hear in the conversation that he talked about one of his keys to success and going the longer distances is using heart rate training. So I thought we would jump on the mic after the interview with him and talk a little bit more about heart rate training. All right, here's our conversation with Academy member, Marty Gardner. Well on my way, well on my way. Right, we're on the podcast now with Marty Gardner, Academy member, lives in Macon, Georgia. Marty, great to have you on the MTA podcast. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. It's a real honor. So recently you posted in our group, our group for members, uh, you said, before I discovered the joy of running, I was an overweight, depressed man who lacked self-confidence and quit every time life situations got hard. I joined the MTA community and began working with Coach Lynn after my first marathon, which was a Sufferfest. So that gives us a lot right there just to get into. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, also, we're going to talk about the 100 miler that you did this summer uh, in Florida, which sounds crazy to say, a 100 miler in Florida (laughs) in the summer. That sounds like a Sufferfest to me, let's be honest here. So So we're going to get into a lot of stuff. Let's go back, though, to that first statement. Uh, You said you were overweight, depressed man who lacked self-confidence. And then you found running. So can you unpack that for us? That's a big one too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know where I kind of crossed the bridge into being, you know, depressed. I was overweight way back into elementary school. And I got to tell that story just to kind of get you there. But when I was in the fifth grade, I was shot accidentally in a hunting accident. And I've got a, I got a detached retina. And so I had to go the whole school year without doing running and playing. I had to literally oh. sit on the sidelines and watch everybody else have fun because, you know, back then the surgery wouldn't take if you shook it, you know, or vibration or whatever. So I gained a bunch of weight in that year in school and I never really lost it. That's when the kind of the body is going through a lot of changes anyway. Sometimes, you know, hormonally, like that pre adolescent period, kids tend to put on weight anyway. And then, you know, having that compounded with no activity, I'm sure that was extra challenging for your body and probably for your emotions and mind too. That would be, that's a a big trauma to go through. Yeah, definitely. And so, you know, at that early age, I kind of started isolating more and all that. And so fast forward to, you know, in my adulthood, somewhere in my, uh, I guess, early 50s, I think 2014, I'm 58. I went and I was get a regular doctor check about every other year, especially when you get in your 50s, you're scared to go because they tell you these kind of things that you have these to harsh get. harsh truths. <laughs> nobody likes to get. But anyway, uh, she, she did. My cholesterol numbers and all were decent, but I stood on the scale and I saw I was like 280 pounds. And uh, I'm five foot six and and I have heart disease in the family. And so that kind of scared me. But, you know, leading up to that and, you know, talk about depressed, I don't know. I think I shared a picture of myself. Mm-hmm. I think I was at a volleyball game, a high school volleyball game. And 
you could tell I was depressed by looking at me in that picture. <laughs> I can remember, you know, tying my shoes. I would be out of breath tying my shoes. And that's depressing in itself, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know. And, and I knew I needed to make a change. I remember like three months before my doctor's appointment, I got my driver's license renewed and I put 240 on the driver's license. <laughs> so I was a little bit in denial. You know, I had tried, you know, without telling anyone to lose weight from time to time. You know, I would just cut out Coke or not put so much gravy on the mashed potatoes and things like that. Or, But every time I got uncomfortable for whatever reason, emotionally or whatever, eating was my comfort mm-hmm. thing, you know. And I don't know how much you want to hear about this, but I'm in recovery from alcohol and drug addiction. Yes. Okay. And so food became a source of comfort to me mm-hmm. you know, after that. Anyway, every time life got hard, I gave up on that goal of losing weight. But when I came home from that doctor in 2014, I made a decision and I told my wife about it. And I'd never really held myself accountable by telling anybody before, but I told her I was going to lose 100 pounds. I started walking. I remember uh, it was re- it was January when I went to the doctor. And I remember like two or three weeks into my commitment, we got a big snow here. And it never really snows here, but it was like six inches. And so I joined a gym. And I was just talking to someone the other day. And I remember vividly because I'm, you know, now my running training is heart rate training. Mm-hmm. But I would get on that treadmill and set it on three miles per hour, 20-minute mile, with no incline, and my heart rate would be skyrocketing like 160, mm-hmm. you know, beats a minute. Mm-hmm. And now my heart rate training, I run at 130. You know, that's my target yes. to stay at. Or under. That's a great metric to see your progress, <laughs> you know, because that is something that sometimes, you know, you can look from the outside in. You really can't see what's going on internally, but the heart rate training really shows you where you're at cardiovascularly. And yeah. to see that huge improvement, that's really encouraging. Yeah. You're getting older, but you're getting fitter <laughs> and your heart is healthier. <laughs> now, I will say that here in Georgia, in the middle of the summer, it is very hard to stay at 130 and be mm-hmm. running at all. You know? Oh, 100%. And, and so you, you have to go really slow, but uh, that's okay. Yeah. So you started at the gym, you were walking, you were being consistent with that. Um, did compounding good habits start to build on each other? How did you get to the point where you thought, I'm going to try running? Because it's a big stretch to go from walking to running. Definitely. And the other thing that I was doing is I downloaded this free app on my phone that kept up with the calories. Mm -hmm. And the big thing that did for me is it showed me the junk that I was taking in that was bad for me. Like, Mm. you know, I would drink Coca-Cola and sweet tea, probably 60 ounces a day at least, you know, which is over a thousand calories right there. (laughs) You know, not to mention all the other things like, you know, just simple thing like a cheeseburger and fries is like a thousand calories. Mm -hmm. And so it made me smarter in my eating, you know, and not saying I gave all that stuff up, but I was very uh, selective and, you know, like the other two meals were much more to allow myself to be able to take in that kind of calories. I had a daily budget and I stuck to it for the most part, but yeah, I got to a point, I lost like 20 pounds pretty quickly, but I got to a point where I hit a wall after about maybe three months or so. And, the weight quit falling off and I was, I'm kind of obsessive. And so, you know, I would, I would go to the gym before work 
and uh, I would work out for an hour and a half. And so, you know, the machine tells you how many calories you burn. So I would make a point to burn more than I consumed every day. Wow. And Mm -hmm. so sometimes I would have to go before work and after work to do that. But I was that committed and I did it. But I hit that wall and it quit losing weight, even though, you know, I was in a deficit and which is really not good for you. So I went to the trainer there at the gym and told him that I had hit a wall and he said, well, you need to mix it up. So he introduced me to the, the bike trainer and the stair stepper. And so I did a combination of all those. And one day the gym was closed because of a holiday or something. And I knew I needed to get a good workout in. And I just walked out my door and took off running. And I ran like three miles without stopping. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know, somewhere in there, I forgot to mention too that you know, my mother had Alzheimer's, had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And a friend of mine told me about a local 5K that had a benefit for Alzheimer's. And so I, I signed up for that 5K and I went to it. And this was before I had taken up running. So I walked it and it took me like 51 minutes to walk the 5K. And mm-hmm. I was, you know, I was, I had the competitive spirit. I just couldn't run. <laughs> but this little old lady with a cane beat me in the 5K. <laughs> <laughs> and so I made a commitment to come back the following year and run that race. And yes. Was, so somewhere in there is when I, I took up running and I did go back the following year and ran like a 36 minute 5k and beat that lady. I beat her. <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway, yeah, I, running, as you know, it does something for you. It instantly took the place of the other cardio things that I did, you know, and I started signing up for the local 5Ks and 10Ks and eventually in 2017 is when I did my first half marathon. And then what was your first marathon? That was uh, Disney in 2018. When I was training for that is when I discovered Marathon Training Academy. I had never listened to another podcast, any kind of podcast on any subject, but you get, and I had not started doing audiobooks. Now I do a lot of audiobooks on long runs, but back then it was all music that I listened to. And it just gets boring when you're doing, you know, and I, every single one of my long runs was solo. I, I was embarrassed is not the word, but I just was af- afraid to go and be a part of a running group because mm-hmm. I felt like I would be too slow and not fit in, you know, and so, which mm-hmm. is all crap. You know, I wish I'd have known then what I know now about <laughs> the running community because of all the communities there are, it's like the most supportive community out mm-hmm. there. Yeah. You know, and there are some races that you get that are more competitive than others, but there's still, you know, a group of people that lift you up and, you know, it's not mm-hmm. about being better than and all that crap that I was imagining. I think sometimes we take our lack of self-confidence into the running space, especially when we're new runners and we think like, oh, I don't look like a real runner, you know, real, I'm putting real in quotes here, or I don't run fast enough to be a real runner. And that can hold us back from putting ourselves out there, whether it's signing up for your first race or running with a running group or anything like that, kind of that feeling, you know, like you're not a valid or genuine runner unless you have accomplished some milestone, which is usually very arbitrary, you know? (laughs) So I think your experience, like you're describing is, is, very common that a lot of us go through that. And then when we get to the other side and we're like, oh yeah, you know, I I find my people in running and they're amazing. And, you know, I don't know what I was so worried about, but, you know, I think we all kind of go through that to some degree. Definitely. And (laughs) like I said, I wish I had known then what I know now, because it's such a big part of my life now, the running community. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you'd 
never listened to a podcast before, how did you find us? I'm, I'm trying to remember. I want to say I Googled running podcast and okay. marathon and training. I remember two that came up at the same time. And I, the other one was uh, running for real with uh, Tina Muir. Tina Muir. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That one and yours. And I believe the Google thing, actually, you all were guests on her podcast or she was guests on yours, one or the other, because mm-hmm. that's the one that came up. That that was the first one that I listened to. Okay. Which one was it? Were you all on her podcast or was she on yours? We've done both. Yeah. Okay. So this yeah. would have been 2017. Um, so I listened to that and I was instantly hooked. I started listening to all of them. And so through my training, you know, I would listen to those. And I remember one in particular. It's the first time that something like that actually touched me emotionally. (laughs) There was a guy that you talked to that was talking about his first marathon. Mm -hmm. And uh, he went back and gave the full recap. And I was sitting there bawling in the the gym on the uh, art trainer listening to him. (laughs) You're like, it's just sweat, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) But it had such an effect on me. But and so Mm -hmm. and I remember during my marathon at Disney that Sufferfest, somewhere around mile 20 is when it started getting hard for me. But I remember when things got hard, I got to thinking about, you know, I need a coach, you know, mm-hmm. and and I had heard you all talking about in the podcast, you know, how the coaches are available. And I had never really even looked into coaching. I just assumed that it was something that was meant for elite type athletes and there was nothing for an everyday runner yeah, or a beginner. Yeah. And I think... Coach Lynn coached you, what, for for a little while? Yeah, it was almost two years, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, So she started with me, like, you know, I sent you all, actually, I sent you a message from Disney the day Mm -hmm. I finished the marathon. Wow. uh, (laughs) Saying, you know, that, hey, I finished my first marathon and thanks for your podcast and all that. Mm -hmm. And I said, I want to, you know, talk about coaching. And so I started with coaching because I did a half marathon on January. The Disney marathon is usually the first or second Sunday in January. And then I did a half marathon at the the last weekend in January. And Lynn was already my coach at that point. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and I made it. It was a very hard half. It was lots of elevation gain. I had never done anything like that before. And I, the improvement was already starting just in like two weeks. And so... I had a another marathon that I had signed up for that was in March. So she had had a good two months to work with me, I think. And uh, I got like a almost a 30-minute PR. That's amazing. That first, first marathon. <laughs> and, you know, even better than that is I was able to walk afterwards, you know. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that helps. <laughs> it's not, not a lot. You know, I still hurt, but I was able yes. to walk better. I mean, you know, there was actually some structure to it. A personalized training plan makes a huge difference, mm-hmm. you know, and, and not just physically Lynn. And, you know, you said something about how the coaches are paired up and I don't know that because I know there was a questionnaire I filled out, Yep. but I don't know if anything came up in my, you know, with mental or emotional issues that I had, but Lynn is quite the counselor too. <laughs> you know? <laughs> She, she was very good about, you know, like she would tell me sometimes to go and do a run and not look at the watch and mm-hmm. things like that, you know, because she learned quickly that I became too focused on time, you know yeah. what I mean? And she mm-hmm. tried to help me to appreciate the mindfulness of running and 
you know, just like it happens to a lot of people that run marathons, I became obsessed with getting faster at every race. Mm-hmm. But I love doing races, and those two sometimes collide with each other, if you know yes. what I mean. Quality and quantity can be hard to balance <laughs> for right. a lot of us. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I got that PR, but then my next thing was I discovered what marathon maniacs were. Yeah. So I asked Lynn that same year, the fall, to help me, you know, and so I did like three marathons in 52 days. And, wow. And so, which, you know, it happened without injury or anything, but I still had that issue of uh, getting faster, that obsession. But I am a back mid to the back of the packer with, I've gotten slower in marathons since I've started doing ultras. Mm-hmm. But, um, I think I've got the heart or competitive spirit of a, an elite athlete. Yes. <laughs> I, want, I think that. <laughs> I heard an, uh, an interview that you all did with Kukazella. Mark, is that his name? Mark Kukazella? Yeah, Dr. Mark Kukazella. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he talked about the advantage of heart rate training, and, and that really got my attention, you know. So I told Lynn I would like to experiment with heart rate training. Mm-hmm. And she would give me these plans. Like she would tell me, okay, keep your heart rate at 140. But I would fudge a little bit from 140 <laughs> to 145, you know, five ah, beats a minute. But if you do that, you know, you do that in life and it really, you really cheat or only cheating yourself. Mm-hmm. You know? And like she would give me a specific pace on my easy runs and I would fudge that a little bit and go faster as an ego thing. Yes. And so the results, you know, there were many times like I remember I, that year 2019, we trained from. Just early spring to New York City Marathon, you know, which was in November. And I had big goal of beating Oprah. That was my yep. goal for uh, for New York City. And, man, I was in such good shape. I remember doing Yasso's, and I was doing them in like four minutes, 405s, mm-hmm. 10 minutes of them. Should easily be able to do run a 420 marathon, you know. But there's something about... The long runs, if you want to run a 420 marathon, then your long runs probably should be, I don't know, 11, 30, 12 minute pace, something like that. You know, that much slower than your race pace, but I would run 1030 pace in every run. And so I didn't get the benefit or either I overworked my body. One or the other, like that particular race, I started having problems at that Queensboro Bridge, which is like mile Mm. 16 right when the fun starts really because that's when you hit the big crowds you know and it was miserable it was like a five hour 10 minute marathon i want to say or something like that and that just broke my spirit because i worked so hard all summer and i was hitting the times i was doing all the things but you know i just didn't didn't have a good day yep it is it is challenging you know for a lot of us when we have that kind of driven personality or, you know, to that, that nature that wants to pursue a goal at all costs. And it's easy to think like, oh, recovery, rest, slower paces, all that kind of stuff doesn't seem like it fits into my goal of getting better, faster, going further, whatever. Yeah. Like you said, it kind of takes time and, and wisdom and realizing that, you know, you only burn yourself out when you neglect those areas. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I so wish I could go back and do that again, because Mm -hmm. when you're my age, you can't go back and get those years, you know, and so you start having that physical decline a little bit to where I may not ever be able to recapture those paces again. Mm -hmm. 
quick break to thank our episode sponsor, Prevenex, makers of Joint Health Plus. We've heard from some of you out there in the audience who have found relief uh, from joint pain after taking Joint Health Plus. In fact, Angie just heard from a longtime listener named Sherry. Yeah, we've met up with Sherry and her husband at a few races now. And unbeknownst to me, she had been taking Prevenex. And a couple of weeks ago, she sent me a picture of a bottle of Prevenex. And she says, thanks, MTA. How about benefits in two days? And I said, you know, wow, that's amazing. What joints were you having trouble with? And she says, my knees, wrists, shoulder, dot, dot, dot. She says, I'm much older than you, which I don't think she is. (laughs) (laughs) And I asked her if we could use her testimonial. She said, absolutely. My knees felt great. And I've noticed an improvement in two to four days. I recently did the grandma's challenge, the 5K on Friday and the 21 kilometer on Saturday. And even with a hard fall, I finished with absolutely no knee pain. Hey, that's great to hear. Yeah, the main active ingredient is clinically proven to reduce your joint pain in just 7 to 10 days. And if it doesn't work for you, they'll actually refund your money. Look for Joint Health Plus at Prevenex.com. Use the code MTA for 15% off. Quick break to thank our sponsor, MetPro. We can't recommend MetPro highly enough because as you get older, your metabolism changes. I know Marty mentioned just cutting out soda and sweet tea. He was able to lose 20 pounds, but then he was in a calorie deficit and then the weight loss stopped. Because the insidious thing is our metabolism will eventually figure out what we're up to and stop with the fat burning. Am I right, Angie? I'm thinking back to all the times we've had Angelo on the podcast and he's explained this. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's right. Our bodies seem to want to prepare us for a long period of starvation, which of course, most of us are in no danger of coming close to starvation. So MetPro comes along and you can speak with a metabolic expert for free at first to talk about your goals. You can get actionable steps towards fueling your body for performance, losing weight if that's your goal, adding muscle, changing your body composition. Um, Their dietitians and their coaches are just really amazing and are great for accountability and helping you fit this into your lifestyle. So if that sounds like something that might be helpful for you, go to metpro.co forward slash MTA. You can schedule a free consultation call. That's metpro.co forward slash MTA. How did you get involved in trail running? Like what was that transition like going from primarily road running to trails? The first week that the world shut down, my wife and I both had the flu. Now, it could have been COVID, but we were both tested. And back then, you know, the tests were probably not as reliable as they are now. So we were out from work for a full week. And baseball season, I'm a big baseball fan. Baseball season was shut down, so I couldn't watch baseball. And so I watched YouTube, every single trail and ultra running video that's out there. I watched them because I'm an early riser, you know, and if you're bored and sick and can't really do anything, that's what I did. And so, you know, Billy Yang and then, of course, all the Western states ones. So anyway, I saw those. And and then a company that's based in Atlanta called Dirty Spokes had some trail races that they were still putting on. They had were able to get permits for because it was, you know, outdoors and small groups. And so it was a race in Brazelton, Georgia, called Road Atlanta. And so I signed up for it and went and did it. And it was like it had two choices, like four and a half miles or 9.1. And of course, being a marathoner, I chose the longer of the two. I always <laughs> choose the longest one. <laughs> and so I went and did that race. And oh my God, it was just wonderful. You know, the, being on a trail, it was life changing for me because one, the, the single track experience, you know, it's up and down. So you can't run fast, 
but there's less pressure to be fast. And, you know, there are still people that are flying over those hills, you know, but everybody is kind of equal in a trail race. And uh, I was definitely nowhere near first, but nowhere near last, you know, and, and so it was fun. And I came home that night from Atlanta and started searching and signed up for my first 50K. Wow. <laughs> it was in the fall of that year. Yeah. And then after you did the 50K, you decided you liked pain. So you <laughs> wanted to do a 50 miler or a 60K or something bigger. Yeah. That's when the bad decisions started escalating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I signed up for two 60Ks, actually. I signed up. The first one was Bryce Canyon. And at some point, I think when I went from the 50K to 60K, I switched over to Coach Henry. Yes. Because he was more of an experienced ultra coach. He had me, you know, well prepared for that, although I was way over my head when I got to Bryce Canyon because those elevation profiles, you know how they are if you're, you know, with marathons, you look at them, you study them before a race. And, you know, most of them are not even a thousand feet of elevation gain. So no big deal, which a thousand is alarming. It used to be for marathons. <laughs> but for this one, for uh, the Bryce Canyon, I want to say it was like, 5,000 over 30, supposed to be 37 miles, but ultras trail races, it's never exact, you yeah. know, it's like 60 K, but they mean 60 ish <laughs> and it's never less. <laughs> but anyway, so it's a Canyon. And so supposedly was, you know, it's a vacation races thing and they make them not too hard supposedly. But for me, this guy from Georgia, our mountains are not the same as those mountains in Utah. <laughs> mm -hmm. What a beautiful place, though, man, Bryce Canyon, to, to run an ultra. Oh, man, it was. It was every step was like a postcard, you know. Wow. And it, Now, it was like the first part of it, it took you 15 miles to get to the hoodoos part, you know, where you got the rock formations. Hmm. But the part leading into that, like it's like you're running up through the canyon. Well, the first four miles is like uphill. And so a lot of my training that Coach Henry would have me do, like he would on – you know, I'd have to do back-to-back -back long runs like on Saturday and Sunday, like a 20-miler on Saturday and a 12-miler on Sunday. And Sunday would be, I would run to the gym, then get on the Stairmaster, or not the Stairmaster, the treadmill and put the elevation all the way up. Wow. And, and a power hike uphill, yeah. which was good, you know, good training because I would have never made it those last 10 miles because the hills were so steep coming up out of the canyon. Mm-hmm. But so Coach Henry knows his stuff, that's for sure. You know, his first coach was? Who's that? Angie. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, I knew that. I'm sorry. Yeah. Right. She coached into a Boston qualifier, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. When he was still your client, we met at an ultra in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. It was like the North Face 50 mile or something. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> He's a great guy. So I'm just looking at your, your original post. You said, I finally broke through learning the importance of proper fueling and hydration. It says, in the past, uh, I would get uh, debilitating cramps in my legs that would cost me significant amounts of time. So we tried all sorts of things to cure them. Eventually, it came down to the fact that my easy runs were not easy enough. Yeah. I mean, that was it in a nutshell, because I remember, you know, Lynn, we would be so frustrated because she knew we could tell I was in shape to get my goal, but she couldn't control the fact, no matter how hard she fussed at me, that I was not doing my easy runs easy enough, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. She tried, you know, you just like, and, and not just Lynn, it's been several coaches 
mm-hmm. you know, that, you know, it's that thing about when you're out there, you know, in this place that I used to go and do all my long runs, there's a dozen people out there running and I just could not ex- tolerate, accept whatever the word is, the fact to let all of those people fly past, you know, and the human ego comparison is the thief of joy. That's like the greatest statement ever made because yep. it cost me yeah. several years in running success. And, you know, there's nothing worse to be on 20 miles into a marathon and on pace to just crush your goal and feeling good. And then all of a sudden your legs just shut down with cramps in both of them, you know, mm-hmm. and it used to hit me like the inner thighs. But I mean, it would be so bad that I could not, it would shut my walking down to like 30 minute miles, you mm-hmm. know, and I would hit 20 miles in well under four hours. And then it would take me 90 minutes to do that last 10 K. Right. And so frustrating. And we tried so many things. (laughs) Do you think having to go through the process of failure, like DNFing a couple of races, because I know you mentioned that you had a couple of ultras that you DNFed. Do you think that was part of the learning process that you had to go through? Because I know some of us have to learn the hard way, you know, before it really sinks in, like, I I have to like, address this, or, you know, it's going to affect future races. It definitely, it definitely did. There There were two in particular, both of them were 50 mile races. And, you know, there's something about when you get 50K is close enough to the marathon that you can survive it off hard headedness. Yes. <laughs> but when you get in the 50 miler, you need more than that. Or at least I do. You know, there mm-hmm. are some people I've talked to people, you know, now that hundred mile distance to them, they can grit through it, you know, no big <laughs> deal. <laughs> but I'm not there yet. But anyway, but on the 50, yeah, two different times. The first one was this race called the Georgia Jewel up in the Georgia mountains near Dalton. And, you know, it's like lots of climbing, eight, 9,000 feet of elevation gain. And the 50 miler is out and back. So you go out 25 miles and come back and you start having uh, time cutoffs after about 20 miles or so. Mm -hmm. But anyway, you have aid stations like six to eight miles apart. And so you got to carry enough hydration and fuel to get you to those points. If you're not, you know, trained with the kind of calories that they're going to have there, then, you know, you're in trouble. But the thing that happened with me with both, you know, one thing that happens to me, even in marathons today, is I get so hyped up in the race that I forget, like, it's 250 calories an hour that I need to take in and 20 ounces of water and up close to 20 ounces of an electrolyte. And not necessarily, sometimes that's more like an hour 20 that those, that amount lasts me, but that's my formula for success. Mm-hmm. But sometimes... I will, well, most times <laughs> I will get caught up in the race and, and realize and get to think, did I take my calories yet for this hour, <laughs> you know, or how many, what's my number, you know, and you can't just keep a notepad in your pocket when you're in the middle of a race and keep up with it. And so I, I went through, you know, those first two 50 milers, big time problems with that of keeping up with my calories and that kind of thing. But also leading back to going back to the training part is I was still doing my training runs too hard. Because those were trail races, and one thing that happened to me is when if you go from doing your training runs on a trail, let's say a 10.30 pace on the road is my easy run pace, which really should have been 11.30 in the first place, but I was running them at 10.30. Well, when you jump on the trail, running a 10.30 pace on the road is more like a 12-minute pace on the trail. 
you know, a fairly technical trail. And then if you want to make that easy, it really needs to be 13. And so I couldn't make myself run a 13 minute mile on a trail. I would make myself actually run harder because I was too busy looking at my dang watch, you know, to, and comparing myself to other people's times. And so I ruined it those first two races, you know, trying to be somebody that I would, that I was not. And uh, looking back on it, it's embarrassing to silly to think that I was like that, you know, but somebody's got to do the stupid things to learn the lessons. And- <laughs> exactly. You'll help other people by, you know, having learned the right. hard way. And I think sometimes it's like the failure that actually sets you up for success if you learn from it. And clearly you learn from it because now you've jumped to the 100 mile level and, you know, you probably wouldn't have been able to make that jump if you hadn't gone through that hard, those hard patches and yeah. really been able to dial in your nutrition, your hydration and take your ego out of, you know, your pacing. Yeah. Let's talk about the Keys 100 in Florida. Um, I have been in the Florida Keys once <laughs> and we drove in a car actually pulling our camper from the beginning all the way down to Key West. And we actually, I think we camped at Marathon Key, which is like, hey, this is appropriate, right? Marathon yeah. Key. <laughs> and so we know how long that is. It's like 100 miles. Mm-hmm. And someone thought, how about we just do a race right here? We'll just run, <laughs> make people run. And when is it? In May or something crazy it like is. that? Yeah, it's the third weekend in May. And this was your second 100 miler, is that correct? Yeah. The first one was more successful as far as time-wise because it was in December. It was still in Florida, but it was in December. But uh, the keys, it was uh, definitely much more of a challenge. And, you know, the lesson that I had learned and the way that I got to be more disciplined with my uh, easy runs is I started doing heart rate training. And I knew if I wanted to be successful, I had to follow the plan. And I started doing that. And when you do that, like we said in the beginning, even in the middle of the summer, if you're running at 130 heart rate, if it's a 15-minute mile, it's a 15-minute mile. If it's a 10-minute mile, you do what your heart tells you you can do. And I compare it to like an engine in a car. If that radiator starts overheating, then it's working harder to keep the car cool. And that sucker's going to break down eventually. And same with the body. And so with 100 milers, even with 50 milers, but definitely 100 milers, that's super important. You know, some people that are elite athletes, they make a getaway with it for longer. But a 58-year-old guy, it's important. So, yeah, and especially in the heat. And and so with the uh, Keys 100, that was definitely the plan is to go into that. And I had a very... um, well, I had like three goals, you know, the main goal was finish without dying. <laughs> <laughs> Solid goal. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but uh, I, the, the A goal would have been uh, sub 26 hours. And so it's a 32 hour cutoff. My previous 100 miler in Daytona was 28 hours and 20 minutes, I think, something like that. Hmm. And I, so the B goal was to beat that. I had never been to the Keys. I'd never been further south than uh, the Space Coast where I did the Space Coast Marathon a couple of times. And it's a good little ways from there to there, <laughs> a couple yeah. hundred miles. And the difference, you know, one of our, I don't know if he's still a member, but he used to be a member, Mitch Goldstein. Y'all remember oh, him? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. He, he used to live in South Florida. And mm-hmm. he told, he let me, educated me that it's not always, not just the humidity, it's the dew point. And so that's the difference in the Keys from Central Florida, because I've run many summertime races and summertime training runs in Central Florida. But down in the Keys, 
it's like there's so much moisture in the air that you can't sweat. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. Your sweat don't help you down there. Like Your sweat's said. competing with the air that's sweating. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> now, you do sweat, but I mean, it's, it don't give you a relief. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I went in with a conservative plan to do uh, short intervals to keep my heart rate down, run, walk intervals. That's a race that there are no aid stations. So wow. you have to have, you, you, it's mandatory to have a crew. And so I had a, a crew, good crew with me. And there are set places, you know, uh, Bob Becker, who's the race director there, he's very experienced runner and uh, race director. So, and he'd done, this was the 15th year of that race. So they are very knowledgeable of the places, you know, it's one big highway, it's uh, highway one. Mm -hmm. And so they were very aware of the places that are okay to stop to crew and the places that are not okay, you know, that are dangerous and all. They give you a nice little spreadsheet to work with at the beginning. And I, I'm a spreadsheet guy, you know, anyway. So I coordinated with my crew what I wanted to have at, at each checkpoint through the whole 100 miles. Now, like Mike Tyson says, once you get punched in the mouth, all your plans go out the window. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at least you had the spreadsheets, you know, to go from at first. <laughs> but it was still, I mean, we had a good plan and we tried, we stuck to it for the most part. But, you know, in the heat, I had no idea how my body was going to react as far as taking in calories. But I had lots of choices, you know, plus there are lots of stores along the way. Yeah, I remember my mileage ramped up big time for this race over my last 100 miler. Three weeks out, I did back-to-back-to-back 20-milers on that weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and those went perfect. I mean, and they were slow, Good went by heart rate, and felt strong, each one. The next weekend, I did, on Saturday, three 10-mile runs separated by two to four hours. Well, in my third 10-mile run, I was about six miles into it, and I felt something in my left Achilles, you know, just kind of pop. Not bad, but it got sore. Mm. I finished my run like a fool. You know, I should have stopped right there, but I like to check all the boxes. I did tape it with K-tape just to be safe on race day. So my first 10 miles, never felt that Achilles at all. Felt strong, went well. But what I silly Marty did was I came into this this part where there were like 15 crews there meeting runners and they were all cheering. And so I jumped up and clicked my heels as I come running into the crew stop. <laughs> no big deal at that point. You know, I've just felt good. But like a mile later, I started feeling my Achilles and I had like 85 miles left to go. Oh. And so I have these kits. I have a foot care kit and one of my concoctions is I use a product called China Gel, which is like Icy Hot and CBD. So one attacks the inflammation and one is an immediate treatment to the pain. And so we applied that like every 10 miles at least and retaped that area just to keep me going. But it went from, you know, 12, 30 minute miles to because I was having to stop so often to 15s and which was frustrating and so the A goal kind of went out the window before I ever made it to marathon distance. Plus, it started getting hot, and I was using ice bandanas, but the ice would melt like in 20 minutes. <laughs> and so we were having to refill, you know, restock that. And so I lost like three hours during the whole race of stop time, you know, of stopping to take care of my feet and to cool off. And that we're talking like in the 90s Fahrenheit. Yeah. They said it was a real feel of 97. They, I think the temperature never got to 90, but with 100% humidity, you know, yeah. it, it was it was miserable. And there's no shade. Ugh. 
did you sleep at all? No sleep. Definitely no sleep. Was it any relief uh, running at night? Oh, yeah, definitely. I don't remember what time it was. Maybe 930 or so, we hit the seven-mile bridge, which is the longest bridge in the race. There's 40 bridges in that race. Hmm. And it was dark when I got there. And, you know, the scary part of that is you're running on the shoulder into oncoming traffic. And the shoulder is not even the width of a car. A car couldn't pull over there and be out of traffic. So it's scary with the traffic coming that way and the hot breeze that vehicles would bring to you. But there was kind of a decent breeze coming in off of the water at that point with no sun on you. That, you know, that was felt good. What was it like finishing the Keys 100? It was epic, you know, in that if I look back at my story, you know, and all the times that I quit at something and that sucker, you know, it got hard before I ever got to the marathon distance. I mean, there, I never once, not in one second of that hundred miles did I ever consider DNFing. I knew I was going to do whatever it took. You know, if it would have been, if I would have been in danger of, you know, a long-term injury, I would have done it, you know, for sure. But uh, I felt like the Achilles thing was, you know, it was a soreness thing more than anything, stupidity thing. (laughs) And so uh, it did slow me down and made me have to, there were many miles, you know, what happens in an ultra, it gets in your head is the pain that you're in. Is it real? You know, like my mind was telling me that if I run too hard, then I'm in danger of my Achilles rupturing taking me out of the race completely and I'm not going to win. So it's more important to me to finish under cutoff than to run harder and save an hour or two and risk having a long-term injury. And so, but the problem with that is sometimes your body's lying to you. It's really not as bad as it seems. (laughs) You know what I mean? You could run more, you know? And so finding that balance is still, I'm still new at it. I've done two hundreds, you know, I'm registered for two more, right now and plan to do many more because I love that distance. That is my jam. I love that distance. You know, I hate to even say that because I don't want to sound cocky, but I don't even like 50 milers (laughs) anymore. (laughs) I just did one of those uh, three weeks after Keys, which was really fun. But anyway, you know, you asked to answer your question, though, all the time when things got hard and this got really hard because I was in pain for 80 miles, 85 miles, I was in pain, but really bad pain, like the last 20 miles. And to know that I can do hard things like that and push through it, and it's exhilarating to prove to yourself that you can do hard things. And, you know, there were so many people from my short running, ultra running history, and my those people that are good friends of mine, you know, loyal friends, it seemed like they were all there cheering for me when I came in. And it mm-hmm. was it's just such a such a powerful thing you know that my it's like your whole team is there to see you succeed and it, it was it was so fulfilling wow i'm thinking of that photo that you shared when you, as you described yourself as a depressed guy at the volleyball game um 280 pounds if if he only knew that you'd be running 100 milers for fun right i don't think he would have believed it <laughs> no. Marty. he would have he would have not even a 5k at that yeah. point, he couldn't have imagined a 5K at that point. And probably even a U of five years ago, couldn't imagine where you'd be right now. You know, the guy who never listened to a podcast, who now right. has his own <laughs> podcast <laughs> and is so immersed in the ultra running world and taking on huge challenges. 
you know, it's just really inspiring um, how focus and hard work and believing in yourself. Um, yeah, you've it, changed your life in so many profound ways. And mm-hmm. commitment is a key yes. word, you know, commitment when you commit to a plan. And you were talking about like I can in the Disney marathon, I could not imagine anybody ever doing what it took to become a marathon maniac. You know? <laughs> and it, it's just a little step. So like, and and we joke about it in ultra running, the series of poor decisions, that we <laughs> make, which are really good decisions because <laughs> they're life changing, you know, and it carries over so much into your real life. You're not even afraid of failure anymore because failure is not fatal, mm-hmm. you know, and I've, I've had my share of that, you know, what I consider failure you know, in running, but it's not fatal. It makes you stronger and it makes you more teachable. And that's important if you're hard-headed like me is becoming teachable. And it's never too late to become that. That's right. Yeah, you're living proof. Mm -hmm. I mean, you didn't get started on this journey until you were in your 50s. And boom, everyone's heard now what you've been able to accomplish. Speaking of the podcast, let's tell folks about that. Uh, What is the Miles with Marty podcast all about? Well, it's about celebrating the uh, running community, really. You know, there were, in my uh, recovery side, the thing that always helped me was relationships with people, sharing my story and having them share their story with me and uh, lifting each other up. And with me, that's a life or death thing. I have to do that. But with ultra runners, and not just ultra runners, I mean, in the running, in the MTA community is such a great example of it. We lift each other up, and that is so important, you know. And just a quick story, the thing that kind of sold me on it, I was, well, I went back to the place of my first ultra to volunteer. Uh, The second place runner in the race is a sponsored runner, a professional runner. He needs to win, you know, for his livelihood. The first place runner is not. It was actually his first ultra. Well, the first place guy tripped and fell. The second place guy stopped and helped him up and sent him on his way and then took off, you know. Wow. And, but, and he ended up catching him and beating him anyway. But, <laughs> but uh, that right there is what the running community is all about. And we lift yeah. each other up. It's, we support each other. And so in the podcast, I try to find those stories of, you know, epic achievements by regular people. I also talked to some big name people. You know, I just had Harvey Lewis and I've got a lots of people from Western States because I just went out there. Oh, fantastic. I've got one that's just coming out with the girl who finished last 21 seconds before oh, the finish. Wow. For the oh, that's cool. And she was, you know, I hope the other person don't listen to this, but her story, her interview was way more interesting than the second place finisher, Katie Scheid. <laughs> Marty, were you there when that last place finisher crossed? Because I saw that video. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was right there. That's amazing. And I went over and talked to her and took a picture with her. And uh, hard not to cry when you see. Oh, I was was sobbing. I mean, last year I watched it live stream and cried for the whole hour. And, And when I got the opportunity to go this year, I went, you know, pretty much on my own dime. Uh, I did have a little help, but it was, I would have, you know, it was so worth it. I mean, the, that experience of the golden hour, it's like, there's nothing like it. All Mm. of the, the top people that finish, they come back, you know, they finish 12 hours before that or more 
Courtney, Tom Evans, those people that won Courtney with her course record, and but they come back and they cheer on those people in that last hour, and it is just the energy there is so amazing. So that's what it's all about. It's about celebrating the running community, love and support, and lifting that up and trying to share it with those people who are not familiar with it. That's fantastic. We appreciate you, Marty, and thanks for being a, a longtime member of our community and for sharing your story here on the MTA podcast. Mm-hmm. Man, it was my pleasure. You all, to me, you know, set the bar for a great running podcast with your content and the way that y'all interact with each other. I just love it. Every episode, it, it makes me smile. Well, thank you, Marty. You are just an inspiring and encouraging member of the community, and we just look forward to following you on all your adventures in the future. Thanks to our sponsor, Ola Dance. People often ask us if we have recommendations on earbuds, and there's a lot of good ones out there, and we've run with a lot of them. But now we've got Ola Dance, and for someone who wears earbuds for a long time, like if you're out there on a long run, Ola Dance is specifically designed to help people prevent hearing loss, have that quality sound in your ear, but still be able to hear what's going on around you. Yeah, I really love the open ear design. Um, It reduces that ear fatigue if other people are like me. But if I have the in-ear earbuds after a while, my inner ears start to itch. Mine just kind of get like sore. Yeah. So having that open ear design is really amazing. They stay firm on top of your ears and have great sound. Like I cannot go back to my old earbuds now because the sound on these is amazing. Do you have any thoughts on the battery life now that you've tested them thoroughly? Yeah, the battery life is great. I mean, I listen some days multiple hours to things and I can usually go several days without charging them. I mean, it will warn me like when it gets to 20% and I'm like, oh yeah, I haven't charged them in a few days. (laughs) (laughs) Do your ears a favor. Go to oladance.com. Use the code MTA20 to save 20% off. Oladance open earbuds, code MTA20. All right. Well, thanks to Marty Gardner for joining us. If you want to check out his podcast, it's called Miles with Marty and we'll have a link to that in the show notes for this episode. Let's talk about heart rate training here on the end of the episode. A little quick tip for you. Yeah, it's been a while. And I think many runners tend to fall into that heart rate gray zone where they run too hard to truly recover, but they run too easy to make fitness gains. So you might hear athletes and coaches talking about the 80-20 method where 80% of your training runs should be in that easy zone, that zone two running, and 20% should be at moderate to high intensity. But we often flip that. You know, we do 80% of our runs at a higher intensity. And so, you know, the body really cannot recover or make fitness gains. And you can get really frustrated because it's challenging to get faster. It's challenging to overcome things like going further if you're stressing your heart out too much. And so, yes, I definitely recommend heart rate training, especially to athletes who have you know, gone through a period of injury or anyone who's coming back to running after a period of time, or if you just feel like your cardiovascular endurance isn't what it should be or what you want it to be. When I was looking into this years ago, um, I researched different ones because we all know that our our smartwatches have their own sets of zones. You know, Garmin has their own Coros, Polar, like all the ones have their own sets of zones. When I was using heart rate training, I found the Moffatone method. It has the mantra of speed up by slowing down. 
And so it leads you through how to find your zone two formula. And basically you take 180 minus your age and that gives you your maximum zone two number. And then 10 points below that is a range for you. So for example, for me, it I'm 44 years old. So it would be 180 minus 44 equals 136. So 126 to 136 beats per minute is my zone two range. Now it does take a lot of patience to stick to zone two. Um, and it can be very frustrating because a lot of people find that they have to take a lot of walk breaks or even sometimes if your route is hilly or it's hot outside or there's humidity, you have to do a significant portion of walking. So it is very humbling. It's one of those things where your ego has to come out of the equation entirely. Now, if you're thinking that sounds like it sucks, I don't really want to do that, but you want to incorporate some parts of zone two training. You can also do it for your easy or your recovery runs. So, you know, you would still do any speed workouts at the prescribed paces, you know, if you're working with a coach or using a training plan, but then any easy runs on the training plan, any like recovery type runs, you would keep those entirely in zone two. So most people probably have a smartwatch that has a heart rate monitor, wrist-based heart rate monitor. So, and also, you know, I should mention that if you're looking at heart rate training, know that there are many factors that can impact your heart rate, even from day to day, especially since those of us in the Northern Hemisphere are in summer right now. Things like dehydration can increase your heart rate by up to 7.5%. Heat and humidity can also increase heart rate by 10 beats per minute. So if you go out for that summer run and you're just thinking, I feel like I'm working so hard, I shouldn't be working this hard on this familiar route. It's because your heart rate is up due to factors like heat, humidity, maybe a little dehydration. Yeah, the heat makes everything harder. It does. Lack of sleep can elevate your heart rate by 5 to 10 beats per minute. Altitude is a big one. It can increase your heart rate by 10 to 20%. Biological variations like stress and hormone levels can cause day-to-day changes from 2 to 4 beats per minute. There are other factors like allergies, illness, pain, your caffeine intake, and certain medications are going to skew the numbers you see on the monitor. And you can kind of see trends, like if your resting heart rate is trending higher than normal, it may mean that your body just needs more recovery time. You know, if you have a tougher run scheduled that day, it may be a good idea to swap it for an easy one and, you know, just kind of listen to your body a little bit more. So for a takeaway, it sounds like people should find out what their zone two is, try to stay in zone two for your easy run days. And prepare not to like the results. (laughs) (laughs) And it's safe to say that long runs are probably going to be in that zone some of the time. It depends on what period of training you're in. Um, You know, often if you're training for a PR, you're going to have to do some pace specific workouts. Um, But if you're building endurance back, especially the early phases of a marathon training plan, a lot of times it's a good idea to do long runs in zone two. I know it's not fun to hear it depends, (laughs) but it does. I mean, because everyone's different. And that's the beauty of having a coach is they help you figure out all this complicated stuff and can help you with your heart rate training, pushing you to run your hard days hard and helping you hold back so your easy days are easy, keeping you accountable and putting together a plan and a system for reaching your goal and training in the environment that you're in and especially preparing for the course that you're going to be taking on. So we have a team of coaches right now at MTA, coaches that are skilled in helping clients with heart rate training and with all kinds of goals like running ultras, training for back-to-back races, training for your first marathon or first half marathon, working through injury, just a whole host of things. We'd love to help you reach your goal and become that stronger, better version of yourself that you have on your heart and mind. For a free consultation call with Coach Nicole, just go to marathontrainacademy.com. You'll find that link. 
Thank you for being a listener. We're so happy to be on this running journey with you. Remember, you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life. Right on my way.